Welcome everybody. My name is Alexander Greb. I am the Customer Advisory Lead Intelligent ERP at SAP and you are listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. And we could not have foreseen it better. Around Christmas, I sat together with Hans Thalbauer, the SAP Senior Vice President responsible for Digital Supply Chain Management and Internet of Things. And we had a conversation about what can we expect logistically out of 2020 and what requirements possible events in 2020 could have on setup, performance and flexibility of supply chains. We talk about how political events, natural disasters and pandemics are affecting the global supply chain setup and the business of enterprises. And boy, what is happening now. Dow Jones crashed last Thursday down 1,200 points, as much as never before, as the coronavirus outbreak interrupts business, global sourcing, selling and travel. It shows us how vulnerable our global supply chains have become and how flexible, transparent and agile companies have to be in the 21st century to act and react on these kinds of disruptive events. Listen to Hans Thalbauer outlining what capabilities modern supply chains need and how performance levels can be achieved that enable you to cope with today's turmoils. Because this is what's going to happen here in this shockingly relevant episode of the SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome, Hans. Thank you. Hans, I feel pretty lucky having you, not only since um, I have the possibility finally to talk about my home turf uh, with you, which is logistics and manufacturing supply chain. But um, you're not so, such an often seen guest here in Waldorf. Since you're living in California, we are not going to pretend like we are there at the moment. Since I checked the weather forecast today morning and Palo Alto is 18 degrees in sunshine, uh, it's probably not the weather why you are here this week. <laughs> no, it's not the weather. Um, it's a typical trip around the world, um, visiting customers, talking about supply chain, talking about manufacturing, uh, meeting as many uh, customers as possible. That's my job. So are there something like percentages where you say like uh, throughout the year I'm like uh, 30% at home and like 70% away? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think this year I was in average one week per quarter at home and three weeks I was, uh, well, the rest of the quarter I was gone. Somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. What, what did you take with you the last year um, what was your like key giveaway you are the mr supply chain here uh, at sap so what uh, let's say is in your opinion the actual state of supply chain management supply chain um, is a very strate strategic strategic topic for companies around the world um, it became more and more important um, because of several trends, I would say. There's the one trend which is about Industry 4.0, there's another trend which is about sustainability. Both have a huge impact on how companies run their supply chain, how they run their business. Um, and many companies really understand to use supply chain as a differentiator. Um, and this is, I think, the uh, very important aspect. Uh, this is a trend which was going on since quite some time now um, that we see the importance of supply chain increasing in companies. Um, but especially this year um, was one where we saw it even more important. Yeah? When talking with companies, um, in the last years you quite often had the topic globalization, like bigger, better, more. Things were growing all the time. 
since at least this year or maybe even the year year before um, things have gone a little bit different because uh, yes we are in the face of globalization but uh, since the let's say stupid word of trade wars is coming up on the table again unfortunately and the rationality seems not to be always in place um, there are quite new issues companies have to deal with we are gaining new markets like for selling and for purchasing but it can also be like because of embargoes or whatever suddenly these markets or markets can disappear again is this something like a new pressure or new kind from pressure from different direction coming up that's an interesting question um, of course this year was marked by extremely high volatility in the markets um, and the geopolitical influences were one of the driving factors. Um, there were the trade wars, there's Brexit, there are many other aspects actually which played a huge role um, this year, why it was quite difficult for chief operating officers or chief supply chain officers to manage their supply chain, manage their operations. Um, uh, companies are very connected, um, so when we talk about globalization, um, you know, many, many companies are trading in many different markets around the world. Many companies really have suppliers from different markets around the world. So all of them are somehow impacted by these uh, geopolitical issues. And that, uh, that's a big, that was a big factor this year and made life really, really not um, easy uh, for people working in supply chain. The trade was what, what is really the impact. Um, companies, um, especially in industries where there's not a lot of profitability on the products, immediately need to react. They need to really drastically change their supply chain. I know many companies, especially in the US, who had manufacturing in China, and they moved manufacturing out of China. Uh, they really moved it either to Taiwan or to, to Vietnam or to Japan even. Uh, so there was big impact because of the trade wars. Um, I didn't see actually many companies moving the manufacturing back to the US, by the way, right? So I think one of the purposes of uh, increasing tariffs was let's have manufacturing back in the US. I didn't see that. Um, I rather saw actually companies really moving to Taiwan or to Vietnam uh, mainly. Um, but, you know, you, we can also talk about Europe with Brexit. The exactly, full yeah. year we had an issue where nobody knew mm -hmm. how we move forward and how we can move forward. Um, and what is Brexit now? Is it a hard Brexit? Is it not? Um, now I think uh, at the end of the year we got some answers <laughs> due to the election, um, and which I think actually makes life now for uh, companies much easier. Now they can plan and, and execute according to the plan. And this is, of course, a big advantage. Uh, for companies. Um, what happened during Brexit was that because of this uncertainty, companies really needed to produce a lot. They needed to put um, the, the, the products into warehouses. Um, and because of a hard Brexit, um, you had always the issue, well, um, how much products do I put there? And so inventory levels were really high. And if inventory levels are high, costs are high. And this is exactly what everybody wants to avoid. So I think actually this um, will go away next year because there is now much more certainty in, in, in the direction at least uh, how this how this will uh, evolve and yeah had also a huge impact but then think about also the unrest around the world think about Hong Kong yeah? the disruption of the protests in, in the business actually um, and um, Hong Kong is a big trading place uh, so also here again a huge impact in, in supply chain 
this, uh, think about the unrest in, in Latin America, um, right? So if you go around the world, you see actually this year there were many areas and many uh, regions which were impacted uh, by geopolitical influences. Then you had earthquakes, you have um, yeah, weather phenomena, um, which uh, also um, made it not easy. The remarkable thing, however, is that if you look at companies, if you look how they uh, were running their supply chains, I would say it was incredibly good. Uh, um, you didn't see a huge disruption. You didn't see actually huge shortages in, in product or huge impact because of all of that, which tells me that companies really evolved their supply chain over the last decades. Um, they really took advantage of technology, which becomes more and more uh, available. They really have more visibility in the supply chain. They also know how to react to this uh, type of, of influences. So I think one remarkable thing, considering all of these um, issues, is that companies really, really evolved quite a lot uh, in, in uh, the area of supply chain. So the, the, the chaos is becoming common? Because it's not really to be expected or, okay, we are not really like uh, being able to look into the future if, if, um, if uh, everything is going a little bit quieter again next year. But um, I think they are getting used to these kind of happenings. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the answer is simply yes. Uh, so companies are prepared. They know uh, it's a volatile, uh, volatile world um, and volatility can come from all kinds of areas. Like it can be weather, it can be a tariff, it can be whatever it is. Next year, the US election will have a huge impact. Uh, and so we know already some aspects which will come up next year, which will drive uncertainty, uh, which also will drive different moves. Um, and yeah, the US election is definitely one of the key moments next year. Concerning what you said about like environmental special happenings, um, I remember a few years ago when Fukushima was happening, first a big earthquake and then the, the, the disaster um, at the atomic power plant. This area um, is more or less or has been the source of many important parts for the automotive industry, especially in that case, it was like um, the displays for like in-car entertainment, navigational systems and so on at the time. And I remember quite good that when Fukushima had like from one day or another, this kind of like supply, those very important parts of a whole industry were suddenly not available anymore. And um, this was, of course, this could not be planned for. This is absolutely unexpected. Um, but the, and that was the feedback I got, like from from people working in this, in this industry and customers. Like that was for them the first real event where they really said that like our abilities in, cons in concerning planning and flexibility and was put under real stress. And from then on, we knew what first where we are, what we are able to do where we still like have to improve and we are were, like better prepared for anything else that comes behind that but is there in your opinion something like a, a strategic setup in which companies can put themselves to be able to like be better prepared for the things which are not preparable I think what you just discussed and, and described is a perfect example uh, why the number one requirement from uh, companies when it comes to supply chain is visibility. I need more visibility. It's always a question I would like to have total visibility. 
in order to understand really what is going on. If I have knowledge what is going on, I can react, right? So it reduces the uncertainty. And visibility is, of course, a broad topic, and now we can break it down into different elements, what it really means. Um, but, uh, you know, in general, you could start within the enterprise um, and connecting things, right? So this is the big topic of Industry 4.0, the big topic of Internet of Things. How can I leverage the information from the things much better to build a real-time picture of my supply chain, to build actually a digital twin of the supply chain, right? So this is one area. The second dimension of visibility is that I can also think about my business networks, my business partners. The interesting thing is when you look at uh, the business partners, we are not only talking about the suppliers. We are also talking about the equipment manufacturer, yeah, connected uh, with the manufacturer or the operators. We are talking about the distributed manufacturing, so for outsourcing or manufacturing partners. We are talking about design partners. We are talking about the logistics network, yeah, where, where carriers are onboarded. So there are many, many business partners when it comes to supply chain, when it comes to digital supply chain. And then you ask the question, uh, how many of these business partners are connected in a digital way? Not just sending an email or Excel spreadsheet, but really in a digital way. And the answer is 10%, uh, So which, which tells you 90% of, of these business partners are not yet connected, so it's a black box. So whenever something happens to these partners, which has an impact to myself, I don't know. Right, so this is the, the, the thing where we can improve a lot. Um, it's a huge opportunity building these networks. It's a huge opportunity to really get more visibility into the end-to-end -end supply chain. By the way, when it comes to connecting the things, the assets, the machines, it's also probably around 5% to 10% of the machines or assets which are connected right away uh, or right now. It's, it's also here a huge opportunity to get much, much more visibility when it comes to connecting the things, right? So both dimensions, the things, the assets, the machines, but also the business partners, if we get more connected, if we, have, if we leverage this technology much more, to, which allows us to connect, then we generate much more visibility. When you say, like, um, we are talking about 5 to 10% of, let's say, machines being connected, Would you say that this is something like um, a number you're happy with because um, this is something which is good in progress? We are like already at 10% or is this something where you say we could be more, there could be more, it could be better. Is the speed of adoption of these capabilities like connectivity, IoT, 4.0 and so on and so on. Um, something where you say this is something where you are happy with because things are actually happening and are, going and are progressing or do you say like hmm, there are still many things and many homework to do till we maybe get like to 50%, 60%? There's still a lot to do and I would say when it comes to Industry 4.0 um, we are still at the starting point. Um, we didn't see yet the revolution. Um, we are not yet le really leveraging data. We still, if you look at companies, if you look at the business processes in manufacturing, it's still very transactional, very traditional, transactional-driven processes. And what we need to do with this Industry 4.0 concept by, by using the data from the machines is really changing that and transferring that into a data-driven process, which is really different, which allows me not only to react, but it allows me to predict. Yeah? So what this means is that ideas 
if you are producing something and if you could predict the quality of the product which you are producing right now immediately while you are producing, you could avoid waste uh, a lot. It would be huge impact in um, yeah, how you produce and how efficient you are and, and also uh, how, how uh, you could reduce all the, the waste and, and, and everything else. So there are lots of opportunities um, which data really um, give you. Um, predictive quality is only one example, but I would say actually a very big one. There's the predictive maintenance process, which many companies have adopted already for key equipment which already drives a, a big improvement and big efficiency. But what we want to do, what we really need to understand is, these are only a few processes. Yeah? We need to use this concept for the entire digital supply chain and manufacturing processes. Because if we change this, um, the way of thinking uh, and change uh, from a reactive supply chain, right? Uh, an issue happens and I react to the supply chain to this predictive supply chain, then it's the first time that we really have a huge transition into a very different way of running the business. Uh, we look into the future and not into the past. Uh, so that's, I think, a, a big step which we can achieve. It is achievable and um, technology is there. I think now it's about adoption, it's driving the themes um, and really introducing them. When we say about adoption uh, or talk about adoption, do you think like there are like certain industries which are very advanced or very ahead to other industries or there may be other industries which are, let's say, a little bit lacking behind? Or let's put another question on top of this. If yes, do you think like there are some like regional differences also taking a context in that? Yeah, that's a very difficult question. Um, When it comes to Industry 4.0, let's start there. Right? Um, and if you think about where it all started, it started here in Germany. Um, and Germany had really a um, big advantage because of that. Uh, I think the adoption in the industry itself about this concept is, is very high. Um, and then other countries really started to adopt uh, the same or similar um, processes and discussion. The only... Uh, country which is not talking about industry 4.0 is US. In the US it's called Industrial Internet of Things. Yeah? So, But every, everywhere else around the world, everybody knows immediately what industry 4.0 means. But it's, it's the same <laughs> thing. It's the same, same similar thing. Um, but then, you know, when I travel to China, it's fantastic. China adopts these concepts extremely fast and innovates very, very fast. Just the last time when I was there, um, there were perfect examples around 5G networks, how they leverage that in the, in the same context. Uh, um, and it's uh, amazing uh, how fast actually um, China is adopting Industry 4.0 and drives it to a new level. Um, so, but I think actually it's healthy competition between the regions and, and uh, companies um, in order to drive this innovation. It's fantastic uh, what can be achieved already. Uh, but there's a lot of room, let's say, where we can still learn and, 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 and adopt. You asked the question about which industry is leading. That's a very difficult um, question to answer. Uh, when it comes to industrial or Internet of Things or Industry 4.0, I think actually the um, IMNC, the industrial machinery construction industry, is... Um, 
very strong. Um, they produce the machines, they put the sensors in there, they connect them, they predict the maintenance of them. So I think actually there are many examples also here in Germany where these companies are doing fantastic things. Um, I think if you look at industries like automotive, um, there's a lot of adoption, uh, high tech, of course. But I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't say consumer is behind. I think actually consumer, the automation in manufacturing, quite consumer up, industry well. is amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I wouldn't say there's one ahead of the other. I think actually the adoption um, is in all these industries um, going on with maybe the IMC, the industrial machinery construction industry leading. What I sometimes think is quite interesting when you talk with customers about that topic is that um, there are like two dimensions of, let's say, pressure or inspiration, let's call it positively, uh, inspiration and, and, and potential is coming up to that topic. Because from the one side, they say, okay, we, we start to, to get the, ap the applications that we need. And on the other hand, we start to learn how important data is in that case, because like concepts like, for example, a digital twin, this is not really new. Uh, a machine I used to plan like 20 years ago where I had something like a capacity and I had opening times and so on. And I had these kind of data in the system at that time already, which was possible without any problems, also was something like a digital twin. Maybe just like the, the way I worked with this was, was different. Um, do you see like uh, these kinds of new possibilities are also a new driver into that thinking um, to, to up the game or is it just like pressure from let's say global or competitive um, forces? I think a concept of a digital twin, you're correct, right? So we had master data in the past, we had uh, and used it successfully I would say. But a digital twin goes way beyond that. Uh, it really starts with the innovation, where you have the 3D drawing of the machine, you, you have all the information throughout the, the manufacturing processes, you go into the operation. So it's about the life cycle of mm -hmm. the entire asset, if you will. <coughs> Sorry, of the entire asset, which uh, really needs to be um, uh, covered here. And, and if you have all of this information, this really provides the difference. Um, you can correlate information with each other and you learn so much more about the process itself, then how the machine works, and then also how it needs to be improved. You get the feedback and so on. So it really is much more um, and the much more um, uh, reality or digital twin of the reality, actually, which we, which we build now into the systems and, and leverage. Yeah. And this digital twin is not something like which is isolated, like, for example, just for like the individual company but it has become something like a networking object with asset providers working with it customers also being able to work with it and so exactly on. it provides the possibility that you can share this information right it's always a question what kind of information you want to share and but then it's really also a business model right so what information you share uh, how you collaborate with your business partners on this, how you drive services on top of this uh, information. Yeah, so it becomes actually a, a very, very nice business model also for companies. What we really did not yet talk about is when we say things are changing, things are getting more connected. We have to switch from, let's say, a reactive way of working to a predictive way of working. Let's talk about the people involved. 
it's it's about planners. It's about people working in manufacturing and so on. Um, how do you see how their, let's say, working reality will change in the next years based on these topics? Yeah, uh, has changed and will change, right? Um, I mean, if you look at shop floor uh, on the manufacturing side, many companies uh, use hardly see operators anymore. You see service technicians maintaining a machine, but the operation is automated. So there's a huge automation already going on in manufacturing. We then saw a second wave, I would call it, which was warehouse management. Uh, more and more warehouses are automated. Um, you see robots working next to people. Um, and so there is a lot, has a lot changed already. Um, and the interesting thing is the jobs are changing, right? If you look at job titles, I was just reading a report, I think yesterday, where uh, new job titles, which were not existing 10 years ago, are now some of these jobs where Yeah, lots of people apply. Um, it's very, very interesting when you look at this world and it has to do with the digital transformation and digital work, right? Um, yeah. Which really drives uh, complete new, um, yeah, complete new jobs. Um, and uh, the same is true in, in manufacturing. More and more service technicians are needed um, and service is an offering where you also need to go to customers. So it's a different job profile. You're not working in a factory. You actually are more mobile and and um, but leverage the knowledge and and the experience and and provide it to the customers directly. So huge change on on the shop floor when it comes to planning, when it comes to let's say the white color uh, uh, type of of work in in the context of supply chain. Also here a lot of changes, um, but I think actually for the for the better, right? Um, people finally get much more information through tools. They can simulate, they can run optimization in a much faster way. It's about machine learning. It's about how to predict um, and really drive better results. Um, so jobs are changing definitely in supply chain, have changed, will change. But you think for a better, nobody has to be scared of industry for zero. Nobody should be scared, right? Because there are always new opportunities coming up with this kind of um, industrial rev revolution. Um, if you look at um, jobs right now, um, in the US and in, in Western Europe, I would say it's um, quite a high uh, employment rate. Um, and I don't see that industry for the zero is taking that away. Actually, I think actually it's supporting it. When we talk about the provisioning of all these kinds of technologies. Um, not just since yesterday, the name cloud has become really important, really big player. The topic in the general, um, let's say, approach to cloud and uh, all these things uh, that are, around, uh, are like still more or less, a cloud system is always good for something where you have really best practice process possible like standardization and so on that's where in the mind of many people the cloud is really in a home game with supply chain management things are in the common perception a little bit different because supply chain management is basically those is that area where the value is existing where the differentiating processes are happening where i as for example company a are putting my, let's say, um, competitive advantage onto the street. So from the common perception, uh, this is not really something like a home turf for clouds. What is your opinion on that? 
I would disagree. Um, we see actually the adoption of cloud solutions um, in supply chain. Um, yeah, progressing very, very fast. Um, we know from an overall market, um, if you look at Gartner numbers, um, that 50% of the overall supply chain market is cloud, 50% is on-premise. So if you look at the growth rates on, on the cloud, it's 30%, um, and in uh, on-premise, it's flat. Uh, so you see there is a, a huge move into the cloud also in, in supply chain. You're right, the companies run and use supply chain as a differentiator. And uh, there's not a single company which comes to my mind which has an ex exact copy of processes like another company. So it's always different. And the key is that, of course, there's configuration. There's a difference between configuration and customization, right? Um, if I can configure my business process, I can differentiate in a standard. If I customize, then I modify a solution um, and cannot easily upgrade and move ahead. I think the difference with what cloud is really providing, we see that the adoption is much, much faster. Processes are being adopted much, much faster. Typically, implementation of a sales and operations planning process is six months. Yeah, when, you, when you look back 20 years in, in the supply chain planning solution, it took about uh, two years in order, in order to really have a complete planning solution implemented, right? So and very, very different with cloud. There are certain aspects um, when it comes to manufacturing, for example, where you need to have an on-premise component. We call it the edge component, right? It's edge computing, which allows you to run the processes um, yeah, directly on the shop floor. Why is that important? Because for these high, highly automated machines, you cannot afford a delay from the internet. Mm -hmm. yeah? And so to avoid these delays, you need to have edge computing. And this edge component needs then to talk with the cloud component. Right? So this is how, how this works. The same is true for warehouse management processes and, and certain other processes where you cannot afford a delay. Yeah? But um, uh, cloud is um, a big topic for supply chain. Um, companies really want to transition there. Um, and um, yeah, it needs to be supported. So considering the, let's say, future deployment reality, um, you favor something like hybrid models, where you say we have still there a room for on-premise system, which are responsible for executional issues, but then you use like best of both worlds. You use the integration of possibilities and the innovation and deployment possibilities of the cloud. Yes, exactly. That's exactly how it works, right? So it's really this hybrid uh, approach where you have uh, on-premise components working with the cloud components, yes. We've talked now a little bit focused on the innovational topics of Industry 4.0, um, but when you talk with somebody from SAP, for example, at the moment, it's almost impossible not to like not hear the word experience management or experience data. Everybody's talking about this, which may be a little bit more from, let's say, the first view into it, be focusing on sales processes or marketing processes or whatever. How is your spin on experience management and supply chain management? I think it's a, a big advantage we have here uh, in tying together uh, information from the customer directly with uh, the supply chain organizations. Just think about the logistics department. Yeah? Uh, if I work in logistics, I would like to understand how happy are my customers with the service I provide. Has the product been delivered on time? What's the package uh, 
damaged when it arrived. Uh, all of this information, if this, this could get back directly to the logistics department, they can use this information in order to react, right? So they can actually really mix the X data, the experience data, with the operational data and immediately uh, put an action in place in order to make sure that the customer is always happy. The same is true in asset management. When, I have this, when I'm a service technician, I want to understand, is my customer happy uh, with, with the service I provided? If you look at um, all the other areas, quality management wants to have the information, product innovation, uh, when I design a product, the earlier I get feedback from customers, the better it is. So far, this information from the customers is mainly being addressed to sales and marketing departments. And now this, this um, uh, topic of experience management and uh, getting the experience data really changes the way how we can use it. And it becomes a much more customer-centristic approach in customer-centricity. It's one of the big priorities for companies. So you have a clear demand that experience data is not just for sales operations or HR, but it is definitely also something for supply chain management. Think about it this way, right? So the experience you as a, as a person, right, when you buy something is not only during the sales process, right? Um, you then have a product experience, you have a delivery experience and a service experience. And product delivery service is in the responsibility of a chief operating officer. So it's mainly actually driven by supply chain. So they cannot keep out of the game. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, when we, we talk about, or we look a little bit into the future, do you think like these will still be the topics you will spend most of your time and customers will spend most of their time like in 2020? And following, or do you do you see on the horizon new things coming up? I think the topic of sustainability um, will be in the forefront um, the next coming of coming years. Um, of course, due to climate change, but um, we also see that companies really start to take that very very seriously to focus on reduction yeah. reduction of energy consumption the reduction of carbon dioxide um, the reduction of waste uh, water reduction and so on right so there these elements become much more important not only for the product innovation but also how you run your manufacturing process how you run your transportation process all of that actually needs to come together so i see The, the circular economy idea um, really evolving and uh, I think a lot of innovation in terms of how businesses will look like in the future um, is um, very much driven from from this concept. So since um, lately I talked with, uh, with an analyst and he said like um, since sustainability has always in the past been something like of, of a goodwill thing that many companies did it will become something what, where analysts will value and rate companies for so you think that sustainability and the um, the um, goals that come with it will be something like a clear planning dimension yes an execution dimension yeah yeah i mean there's the social responsibility from the companies and this is very much driven also with this sustainability concepts. Um, the United Nations has defined, uh, I think, 27 fields um, of sustainability for supply chain manufacturing. It's super important um, and <coughs> sorry, and needs to be addressed. When we are looking at 2020 and your many enterprises you will do there, where can people follow you? 
<laughs> to, keep, to keep up with your tough flight plan. <laughs> many, many events around the world, uh, right? <clears throat> and um, I think some key events will be the Hannover Messe in Germany uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, Hannover Messe, by the way, also exported this concept to other regions in the world. So there's one in North America, there's one in Mexico, one in Singapore um, throughout the year. And I will probably attend all of them. There will be Sapphire, uh, the SAP event <clears throat> in May, June time frame, I would say. Um, and yeah, there are all kinds of um, social uh, media and social networking kind of activities um, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Everybody can find me and shoot me a message. Um, yeah, it's easy to find me. So coming to one of the big events and not being able to avoid Hans Talbauer, that's pretty good news. <laughs> <laughs> Hans, thanks, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Great to hear that and have a great week. Thank thanks. you very much. Bye.